You're listening to Wholesaling Inc. Episode number 1260. Point number four, what does the neighborhood look like? Oftentimes you can do this by a quick Google Earth search, you know, drive the neighborhood, see what's around it. Is it commercial? Is it a lot of businesses? Is it a cemetery? Is it mostly residential or apartments? You really just want to understand what's going on in the neighborhood. This is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. If you've ever thought about buying vacant land in Florida, there's a checklist that you need to know. These are the top 10 items you want to know before you go out and buy any vacant land in Florida. All right, so you, bought, you probably already heard the stories of buying swampland in Florida. I'm gonna give you several tips and techniques and a checklist to keep from buying the, the wrong land in Florida and making sure that your investment goes a very long way and you're very happy with it for the future. First, you wanna know what in the world is allowed on the property. I have questions all the time from buyers. Hey, what are the restrictions? And most of the time we ask, you know, what are you trying to do on the property? What is your goal? What are you looking to do? Are you looking to build a house? or maybe put a mobile home or a modular home or a manufactured home or maybe an off-grid cabin. You wanna get with planning and zoning and oftentimes you can ask them, hey, what is allowed on this property? What is it zoned for? What is permitted? And maybe you don't wanna give them a call. Maybe you just wanna go to like the county assessor site and see what the actual zoning is. You know, a lot of times it's a distinguisher and it's like a three-digit letter and you can look this up on the county's legend and it will show you what's allowed here. Maybe a mobile home or a single wide mobile home or maybe only double wide mobile homes or maybe it's a planned unit development and you have to have a minimum of a 1200 square foot house for this area. So you just want to kind of like educate yourselves on this little bit of knowledge, but this shows you what is actually allowed. And oftentimes with a five minute phone call by calling the county assessor or the planning and zoning office, they are an absolute wealth of information. And these people work for us as taxpayers in that county. So don't be afraid to call these guys and inquire like what is actually allowed here. That will get you so far on the education of what you can actually do with that property. That is number one and very important. What is allowed on the property? All right, number two is access. It's called legal ingress and egress, AKA how in the world are you gonna get into the property and out of the property? Is it maintain county road? Is it a private road that you have to maintain? Is it a dirt road? Are there just dirt trail lots like that you can only maybe get a side-by-side -side or an ATV or maybe a four-wheel drive truck? You really wanna know how you're gonna be accessing this property and is it a public easement? or is it a prescriptive easement? What's the difference between public easement and prescriptive easements? A prescriptive easement, if I own the land, only I can ingress and egress or enter it and exit it or access the property legally. Now, if it's a public easement, I can invite friends, I can rent this property out, I can have just pretty much anybody I would like come on and off the property. Anybody's allowed to use that actual access way. So you wanna be very familiar with this. A lot of times, some of this land that was, was subdivided like before they started planning for these developments and all this road frontage and all these access, a lot of times like things weren't thought of like this, like how are we gonna get in and out of this property? Are we gonna have to go through some major land owner's land to use it? When I was growing up as a little boy, we used to go to this camp that my father's boss man owned and we would have to go almost five miles through a massive piece of land. And this landowner 
was not very happy that we had to drive across his cattle ranch to access a very small 20-acre parcel of land to camp on. So he gave us a prescriptive easement, and this was called our right-of-way. If we got off this right-of-way, we were absolutely trespassing. So my dad was actually out on a hunting trip one time on this land. He got turned around in the woods, and he ended up coming out in a spot that he was not familiar with. So he took the main trail back, but the landowner actually saw the footprints and thought we were actually trespassing. So you got to be very careful with your access, your ingress, your egress, or the way you're going to either get on prescriptive easement or a public easement. Point number three, when buying land in Florida, we must know that there are things called wetlands. And a lot of times the state wants to protect this wetlands because these wetlands provide like sanctuary for animals, endangered species, birds. But very important is these wetlands are what filters the water that we drink every single day. So we have to have enough green space and wetlands to you know, have enough water to take baths in and drink from and irrigate our lawns and fill our pools with, things like that. So we wanna know if you're actually purchasing wetlands. And there's nothing wrong with purchasing wetlands. You just won't be able to build on it. Now, sometimes the state will allow you to purchase wetland credits, but oftentimes these credits cost more than what the land actually costs. Now, according to some of the old timers, Walt Disney actually built Disney World on wetlands, but they had to purchase all these wetland credits and bring in all this fill dirt and dig all these beautiful ponds and lakes. That's why there's so much water around Disney World because they had to actually build it up for that huge castle that they built on there. So it's not impossible to build on wetlands, but you just need to kind of work through all the motions because we got to protect this environment. So one way to read or figure out if there's wetlands is a simple call to an insurance agent in that area. They can tell you if it's in a wetland zone by looking at what's called the FEMA 100-year flood map. And I'm going to give you a very awesome link to be able to see that yourself. It's also in the screen here. But you can check that yourself. And oftentimes, if there's a 1% flooding possibility of that area, it's considered high risk. So you, oftentimes, you'll have to purchase what's called flood insurance. This is a little bit more expensive, but totally doable. So just know if you're getting into a flood area or not. And not all areas in Florida are wetlands. Point number four, what does the neighborhood look like? Oftentimes, you can do this by a quick Google Earth search. You know, drive the neighborhood, see what's around it. Is it commercial? Is it a lot of businesses? Is it a cemetery? Is it mostly residential or apartments? You really just want to understand what's going on in the neighborhood. And a lot of this, and the point that I talked about, what can you do with the land? What is it zoned for? That will help you too, just knowing what it's zoned for. Because if you're planning on maybe building a single family residence, but there's a, it's a trailer park area or it's only approved for mobile homes or single wide, you're going to find out that you can't really do what you're looking to do. So you really want to understand the area by driving around or Google Maps, things like that. And a lot of times you can go on googlemaps.com and pull the little guy and put him right on the street. This doesn't always work for the more rural areas, but it really works well for the cities or anywhere that's a paved road. All right, point number five, a survey is an absolute must. You want to know where the boundary lines are. This will also tell you like, you know, how much you actually have to build on because counties and cities often have setbacks. Oftentimes it's anywhere from 50 or 25 to 50 or sometimes even 100 foot in some areas. You need setbacks from the other property lines. You also need setbacks for your water and your septic, things like that. Point number six, electric. 
Are there electric power lines close by? Is there a transformer for you to hook into? You really want to know this. And oftentimes you can call the electric company and give them the exact location of the property, whether it be the grid coordinates or an address, or maybe even APN, if they've got those, if they're able to get on the assessor's website and see exactly where your land's at and how much it's going to cost for electricity. Or maybe this might be an off-grid site and you can only use solar panels or generator. All right, point number seven is water. How are you going to get water to this property? Is it going to be a well? Is it going to be city water? You know, these are able to kind of be figured out by just calling the city water provider and just knowing the area. All right, next is very important to a lot of people, especially the guys that work from home right now is, is it possible to get internet at this location? Would it be satellite? Would it be high speed fiber or maybe even cable? These things are very important. I used to live on a 58 acre parcel of land and we were using our T-Mobile data. It was such a pain in the butt. And I was out on a jog one day and I noticed that there was fiber optic in my neighborhood and no one really understood this, but I was like, wait a minute, if there's fiber optic here, there must be awesome internet. So we finally found the internet service provider, the ISP. And they're like, yeah, it's $150 a month. It was very expensive. However, it was so much better than using my T-Mobile data. We had to get this little hockey puck and we were getting internet service and it was just terrible. It was out all the time. We were always hitting our limit. But when we realized there was fiber optic in our neighborhood out in the rural area, it was a great day. It was like a day of celebration, even though it was really expensive for it. But now it's just a, a simple like fact of life. We all work from home now, it seems. All right, number nine, soil tests, bore tests. Like these are things that tells you exactly what type of soil that you have on your land to tell you if you can build, what type of house you can build, how your foundation needs to go into the ground, whether you could put a basement in or a crawl space or piers you name it. So oftentimes we do what's called a bore test. It's really just where a little mini excavator digs in the ground and they take a soil sample a few feet down just to see like how the, the land percolates, like as far as the water going into the soil. I always think percolate like coffee maker going, but really you got sandy soil, it percolates. If you got clay, it runs off. So you really want to know and understand the soil by getting a simple soil test. And oftentimes an engineer company that helps build houses can do this for you. All right, and lastly, you want to get a title search and preferably a title insurance policy. Most title companies can do this for you. And I usually recommend, I recommend that the title company be local. Now there are some national title companies out there that will do all like, you know, most of the United States, but I want that title company to be local. I want them to do lien searches, encumbrances searches, making sure there's no back taxes or liens. I also want them to do what's called the O&E and owners and encumbrance. And this is a simple search and it's very affordable usually, but I also want to make sure that that the chain of title has not been broken. Like, what does that mean? If John and Mary Smith purchased the land 25 years ago, but Mary's no longer with us and now John Smith owns it, we want to make sure when John Smith is selling it, it's actually properly transferring that chain of title. We call these breaks in chain of title and this has caused a lot of problems. It can cloud your title. It can make it to where a bank can't loan on the property if you want to build. So you really want to understand your title search. And then you want to also purchase a title insurance policy, just saying if they missed anything, it will be corrected. I have a free gift for you. It's called my due diligence checklist. It's all the things I just mentioned here, but it's also a few more things as well. My team uses this every single day, every single time we purchase a piece of land to make sure that we're not getting ourselves in trouble with the land we're purchased. It is yours for free today by going to thelandsharks.com forward slash DD as in due diligence. 
That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation over at wholesalinginc.com by joining the mailing list as well as get your chance to book a strategy session to learn the systems and become part of the tribe and work personally with one of our amazing coaches. We'll see you next episode with more ways to make you a fortune in wholesaling.